Episode of the Big Red Louie podcast after another win. Two weeks in a row, Louisville improves to two and one on the season after a victory in Nashville against Western Kentucky. Presley Meyer, how are you doing, man? I'm amazing. Not as good as you. I wouldn't in Nashville this weekend, but you know what? If you, you didn't go to Nashville, you, you missed out on a great game, but you did not miss out on any heat. It, it is quite possibly the hottest football game I've is ever been the, to. In my is it really life. as bad as everybody was saying it was? Oh, it was I mean, so bad. I mean. The seats, I've never, I've been to a lot of hot football games because, you know, when you have football kicking off at the beginning of September, occasionally this is what happens. It's really hot. It's not, it's not very often. Like two weeks ago against Notre Dame, it was spectacular weather. Eastern Kentucky, it was late at night, you know, it was a seven or eight o'clock kickoff. So, I mean, the, the weather was fine. But with four o'clock, the seats were so hot, you couldn't touch them. I mean, they were, they would burn your, your bare skin, like on the back of your arms or the, your legs if you were wearing shorts. So you just had to stand up the whole time? Oh, we basically? stood up the entire time. Did you switch sides? Were I you did, one of those? but yeah. I didn't go to the other side. I went to the end zone once. The we we stuck it out for three quarters. Like, and there was a lot of Louisville fans that stayed in those seats for the entire time. So kudos to you if you stayed in those because it was, I mean, it was it was hard to focus on the football game. There was so it was so hot and I was so sweaty. Um, and so yeah, when seats opened up in the end zone, we moved uh, just like everybody else did and enjoyed the final two quarters. We probably would have left at the end of the third if it wasn't for that the, the shade moving over to the end zone. So it was really nice, actually. That's, I mean, so I remember specifically one situation. Um, I think it was Cragthorpe's first year when they lost to Syracuse. And we went to a game, and it was so hot that we left, like, middle of the second quarter. It was, like, the hottest experience I've ever had in my yeah, life. Yeah, I, I can't blame you because I've left, you know, I left the Indiana State game last year at the end of the first delay just because, look, I love football. I love cheering for the Cardinals, but. I'm not going to go sit in terrible weather to do so when I have the comforts of my own TV to watch the game in my house. Obviously, I couldn't leave the stadium and really do much, so we stayed. And it was a great time. It was a really, really good game, despite what the score was. It was a really, really good game up until the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do not – I would never you know, shame somebody who left that game early because they couldn't breathe because that's how hot it was. Jeez, oh, Pete. That's awful. And then I, you know, I'm texting my wife, and she's like, "Oh no, it feels great at home. It's like 85." Yeah, it was fine here. Of course it is, because that makes total sense. I mean, I guess the, the further south you go, mathematically, it does get hotter. But right. I wouldn't have expected Nashville to be 98 degrees at at kickoff at at four o'clock. Which, whatever, it is what it is. Louisville gets the win. Great, great feeling. I really, really, really appreciated the turnout of the fans there. And despite what anyone wants to say, Western did not outnumber. Louisville, not even close. It makes no sense. It's a home game for them. It's less than an hour drive. Right, and, and I they, think they were giving out free tickets is what I saw on Twitter, which would explain all of the stupid cover-up Kentucky fans with the L's down. There was this one dude the whole game. They kept showing this this group of five college students. I would, I'm would, i going to guess they went to Western. They kept, like, I mean, I mean, literally, they showed them every single time that the, the camera, you know, did a panorama around the stadium. They showed them and they kept doing the L's down the whole time. And there was this one goofy kid. He looked like a little mini Wolverine. Like, he, he was possibly one of the goofiest-looking kids I've ever seen. Full beard, like this big hair that was, like, big. Not just, like, long, but really tall. And he thought he was so cool. He thought he was the coolest guy <laughs> in the world. I mean, I'm not even kidding you. The way he was acting every time the camera went on him. Um, and he it was annoying. I wanted to 
go find him. Alex is going to be totally offended by this, but I think every WKU fan is just a just a UK fan in, in disguise, right? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the, that's the word on the street. Because <laughs> the word on the street. How many people grow up in Bowling Green? You know, several several thousand of the and <laughs> enrollment at West. A couple hundred thousand. I don't know. I mean, a pretty big city. Yeah, but who is like, yeah, I'm a diehard Western fan. I mean, I don't. I've no. never heard that. Never no, heard and, that. And just out of curiosity, because Alex is always talking about the WKU message boards, I like tried to check it out, and there's like no activity whatsoever anywhere. So. What is there to talk about? They haven't been good. Well, don't actually. You know what? They've been they've been supposed to be good at football or at basketball for the last couple of years since um, Stansberry has been in town doing his little dirty things that he likes to do to get five star recruits. But football, they've been just as bad as Louisville has been for the last couple of years, which eh. I guess when you're a mid-major program, that happens when you know, your coach gets plucked and you have to figure it out. But anyways, I digress. It, overall, the weekend was really, really good for, for Louisville, not just for the football win, um, but S- Sunday, Lamar Jackson, absolutely incredible once again against the Cardinals. Uh, I thought his performance was even better than week one because – one, considering you're not playing the Miami Dolphins, so you get a, at least a little bit of an idea of how good he really is and how far along he is. But 272 yards passing, 104.8 QB rating, and then manages to run for another 120 yards and sets all kinds. I mean, this dude, when he steps on the field, he literally just breaks records nonstop. Yep. Yeah. First quarterback in NFL history to throw for 250-plus yards and run for another 120. What was his QBR this game? Uh, 89.9, which I don't know what the what the, you know, where they put the median and what's high and what's low. That's the one like stat that I'd never really understood. And they, it's crazy because every outlet uses that stat like religiously. Mm-hmm. Like, what's that mean? Is that good? I mean, I know Pumas last year was like fifty-one point four or something like that. Yeah, like but, he was like one hundred and twenty-seven. College. Country. So in college, there's no such thing as like a perfect QBR. I don't think. Like I saw somebody had like a four hundred QBR. Like I think mm-hmm. Evan Conley had like something crazy. So it's it's I don't understand. How it's calculated? Here you go. So that the raw QBR, I don't even know what this means, is G times the adjusted EPA over action plays. That's not real. That's not real. Somebody <laughs> just some sports nerd made that up because none of those things are real. I, I'm just trying to figure out like what what's a good. Okay, here's the single season QBR leaders. The best ever since they started keeping track was Peyton Manning in 2006. 2000 no. Tom Brady in 2007 with 88.2. And so we said Lamar had 86 last game. and he had a, 89.9, so 89? 90. You want to round right. it up. And then he had, it was like a 140-something the previous game, right? 153. It was perfect. 153.8, I think, is what the perfect QBR is in the NFL. So on pace to just break all the records. Yeah, I mean, absolutely shatter. He's going to break the record for most rushing yards by a quarterback, which I would imagine Michael Vick holds that if Lamar doesn't already hold that from last season um he's gonna shatter tons of tons of records through the air and you know because you see all those stats that are like the first quarterback like i just said to go for 250 and 120 he's gonna do that time and time again i mean i I wouldn't be shocked if he rushes for a thousand 1200 yards i mean maybe that's crazy i mean because you have games like last week where he ran for six yards and that's probably gonna happen again but he was unreal um the way that he has already got a connection with Marquise Brown is going to be I mean that's going to be special. I right. really do. If they can keep both of those guys healthy, that's going to be a dynamic duo for years. And I don't think people understood when they picked him up how big of a how big of a pickup that was because he's basically going into a system that's tailor made for him um and he played in a very similar system in Oklahoma. 
So it, it, with with a guy that's pretty similar um, in Kyler Murray who can do it with his feet, but then he provides that extra, added extra element of not necessarily having to, to like throw him open or give him a perfect pass for him to be open. He kind of is a playmaker in his own right. So it's going to be an interesting to watch. I mean, Mark Andrews is killing it. He's been over 100 yards both games. Got him in fantasy, and he has been absolutely killing it. Are you stacking it? Do you have Lamar? I do not have a quarterback. Lamar. No, I was talking to a buddy about that last night. I, I was about a, a round away from feeling comfortable even reaching for Lamar. I'm a guy, I've learned my lesson so many times in fantasy football of drafting guys that I either have like fixated my, my mind on. I'm like, I got to have that guy or over valuing, um, uh, uh, oh my goodness, what's the word? Potential, overvaluing potential. So somebody like Lamar who could have yeah. a big season in years past, I'd take him early. Now I'm a... I try to get as much value as I can because that's how you. I think that's how you win fantasy football personally. Right. And I was a couple of rounds away from Lamar being a good value pick, which, you know, I'll reach for Louisville guys, but for Lamar, I mean, no one saw him jumping out to you know five, seven touchdowns, you know, over 600 yards passing. I mean, I think he's fourth in the NFL and for total touchdowns and. Mm-hmm. Like maybe like second for yards. I mean, uh, he's having an un- incredible start to the I season. Heard, I mean, MVP quality start to a season. I think I was watching Sports Center this morning. Lamar has more touchdown passes than Tom Brady, Cam Newton, Drew Brees, and uh, somebody else combined. Yes, so yes, right. Like, and at the top, it's Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson who have right. the, this. All the, all of them have seven touchdowns. So I mean, I think you know. I'm I'm still kind of in the skeptical part of okay well they play the Dolphins and then they play the Cardinals so let's see what happens on Sunday when they play Kansas City and what I don't think I've been excited for an NFL game like this in a long time it's gonna be is that what do we have a game time yet uh, I would imagine we do but off the top of my head I do not know my awesome my activities. guess is that's gonna be probably a one o'clock game and we will not get it in Louisville because most likely they play at one o'clock most likely we get the Bengals or the Titans or the Colts which horse hockey my gosh man i would love to see because i think what i i heard the other day on the radio was that local cable networks can request games and they can they can put in objections if they don't like the game that they get um i would like to see them you know cbs and the abc or cbs and fox affiliates knowing their market do what espn radio has done putting the ravens football on the radio because of the demand for it i'd like to see them do the same thing on tv fans want to see it I mean, it makes no. If I could watch Lamar every week, it would mm-hmm. save me a lot of money from not having to buy any kind of league pass or anything. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, they did it last week. I don't see why they can't do it for for some of the big games. I mean, it was literally only in the Louisville market. Yeah, and I so. haven't I haven't looked at the games next week, but I would imagine that that is possibly. I would imagine that that's probably the best game of the week. I mean, looking through here. Yes, it is. The one o'clock game, no doubt, that's the best game. Yeah, I don't even. I, gosh, Houston, Los Angeles, New Orleans, Seattle next week. I mean, I think that those are your your next couple of games. The, right. the Rams and the Browns on Sunday Night Football should be fun. But speaking of the Saints, Drew Brees goes down early in that game with an injury. That when I was watching that game, I, I didn't even really see it. And then all of a sudden, you see him on the sidelines, and he's you know holding the football, he's warming up, and then the helmet's gone. Teddy comes in, plays, ends up playing the whole game. We now know that Drew Brees is going to be out for the next six weeks. And, you know, quite honestly, Bridgewater struggled. And I don't think that's all on him. I think that, you know, I, I was – line was awful. Right. They were terrible. They gave up a lot of sacks. They were put in a lot of situations of like third and 17, third and 19. But I, I made the point today talking to a friend, and this might be a really bad analogy, so maybe you can be a judge here. 
uh, and actually this might this is very applicable to you. He's a, the guy that I was talking to works at a restaurant, and I said it's like if you had been training to be a manager for the last six months, right? And you've mm-hmm. been training and you've been just kind of watching, but you're not the one that's actually doing the job. And then mid shift, your manager gets hurt and he falls. Your boss and you're, is you're, sick, you're, calls you're, in yeah, you're now the you're now the manager in charge. You're gonna mess up quite a bit. Like yeah. it's just the way it is. But with a full week of preparation of knowing, okay, next shift I go in, which obviously at a restaurant's never gonna be a week before your no, shift. No. But <laughs> but point being that the next time you go in, you're gonna be more comfortable. You're gonna feel better about yourself. You're gonna have had time to prepare. You're gonna know what the game plan is. And obviously, Teddy has been in all the meetings and everything, just like Drew mm-hmm. Brees has. But when you're prepping with the scout team versus prepping with Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. Things are a little bit different, and sure. clearly I think it showed that he didn't really have the chemistry he needed with those guys being inserted against one of the top defenses in the NFL. Right. It, it, things will change. I mean, he, that, that's a really tough situation to be put into. Um, I think that you have to employ a little bit of, of patience going into the situation, even this week. So I, I know you said Seattle got torched by by Cincinnati in week one, but you know, I, I think that he's still going to struggle a little bit against Seattle's defense in Seattle. Yeah, well, and um, if he if they've got Jadavian Clowney on the edge, I mean, good luck, man. They had they had trouble stopping some defensive ends that I've never even heard of. Uh, you know, I right. mean, Los Angeles has got a great defensive line, but Aaron Donald went out in that game with with an injury. I I don't think Indomitian Sue is there. I I don't even know if he still plays in the NFL. He does. He plays for not. He's not with. Yeah, I know he was there last year. I was thinking about this the other day when I was cooking dinner randomly. You ever have those thoughts that just pop in your head like oh, yeah. just so random and you know oh, he plays for the Buccaneers. I did not know that. Yeah. Um I was thinking about where does Indomitian Sue play now? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know. They they just cooking dinner randomly. But I wanna I don't get mad at sports a lot, right? But there are a lot of things that you can do and I can you can get away with them for me. Mm-hmm. One of them is one of the things you can't do and get away with him is bash Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know any human being in the history of the world who would ever have anything bad to say. And uh, Rex Ryan yesterday on on ESPN's Get Up had some had some pretty bold comments about Teddy Bridgewater after just a, a couple of minutes of action. In your mind, with Drew Brees is down, it better not be Teddy Bridgewater, but I think it's going to be. And if it is, they're not going to win. I, I don't like Teddy Bridgewater. I, I don't think he can, can play. That is like as personal as it gets. I don't like him. I don't think he can play. They're gonna lose. I mean, come like the guy played half of a game of football against one of the the team that went to the Super Bowl last year. Like, right? What could that guy have done to you so bad to make you that angry about him? And then Pat McAfee, the the king of like roasts, is like sitting next to him in the studio, and he's just like, what? Like you don't like Teddy Bridgewater? Like who doesn't like Teddy Bridgewater? It, it's just, so, I mean, it's so random first of all that and and i think a lot of it is probably t- tv theatrical but i mean wh- why 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 do you feel in your in your heart that you need to go after a human being like teddy bridgewater who's done nothing but and if you think about great just, things just two years ago he was the face of a franchise in minnesota and i don't I don't know if you remember but going into that season they were one of the favorites to win, win the nfc like they had adrian peterson um they had a incredible defense right rudolph uh stefan diggs like they had uh i don't know if thielen was there thielen thielen yeah and i don't think i don't think diggs was there either when when teddy was there if i remember correctly he he was so that was the year that like everything came to fruition i think it was 2016 they had their roster was insane that year and teddy was the guy they would have been 2015 because 16 is the year where he tore his knee apart and and no so that that was in training camp though oh okay okay going into that season 
Yeah, I think 2015 was the year when the Vikings lost in the playoffs by a field goal. Yeah, that was now, unfortunate. Look, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. the numbers for Teddy Bridgewater are – I'm looking at them, and right now I forgot that he's never thrown more than 14 touchdown passes in a season, which is not – that's not good. Yeah, but again, he he had the premier running back in the NFL right, at right. the time. Right, and, and they asked him to do some very specific things, and mm-hmm. most of it was hand the ball off. But here, here's my problem. After doing a quick search on Twitter, I – you know, you can search people's names or you can search whatever you want and anything that's mentioned in a tweet will come up. Years ago, this is 2013, so that would have been Teddy's the junior year. No, sophomore year. That was y- a, no, no, that was his, his junior year. year yeah. that they were in the AAC. Yeah, okay. So maybe these tweets aren't – maybe these are jokes. I'm not sure. But there, there's a couple of tweets with quotes from Rex Ryan about Teddy Bridgewater. If it's 2013, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um but, yeah, I mean, come on, man. You want to piss off people, go after Teddy Bridgewater and see what your mentions right. look like on Twitter. There's not a lot of human beings that you can absolutely bash and get away with it. And one of them for sure is Teddy Bridgewater because that man is a is a legend. Sweet Teddy deserves none of that nonsense. Dude, I mean, I don't even – there's no – there's I don't even know if there's further comment needed. Like, you just – is there is there any – like, is there any reasoning behind – um, why, why you would say something like that as far as like him as a player. Maybe he's lobbying for Mark Sanchez to get a job. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. I think Mark Sanchez actually retired last offseason. Did Sanchez come back to her? Yeah, and maybe it's maybe on. Rex is trying to you know start that up and, and get some, some momentum for Mark Sanchez. But, I mean, for uh, in all seriousness, I mean, I, again, I think a lot of it had to do with just being on a debate show. But right, I somebody's mean, got to take the I don't like him side of the argument. But I think that um, – you know, there's reasons numbers wise to think that maybe Teddy Bridgewater can't get things done in, in New Orleans. But if you go back to the preseason last year when he was with the Jets, I mean, he looked like a really, really good. And again, I know it's preseason, but he looked like a he was headed towards being a starting quarterback. And, you know, the trade happens. He goes to New Orleans. He has a chance to be a starter again. He turns it down so he can come back, potentially take over for the Saints. So we're going to find out really quickly whether or not that he's able to, you know, be a starting quarterback. I mean, he's got every tool. I mean, imagine being able to step into an offense with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. I mean, yeah. it doesn't get any better than that. Right. And 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 that's the thing. I, I think that the the sky's the limit for him. I just think that it's going to take a a few games for him to get his feet under him. You know, he's it, it's been almost three years since he's had some like real true game action with the pressure on and to have to step in against the you know defending NFC champions um, in, in a game that had a lot of implications based on the way last year ended is also an emotional game given the, again, the Saints getting screwed on, on a call. So I, I think th- things would be a lot different. A, if, if that call was overturned and they go into the in a halftime leading as opposed to being down. Um, and I think that, that B, he wouldn't take as much flack if, if, you know, the game was a little bit more close. I just think because they lost in such blowout fashion, you know, what do you finish? Seventeen for thirty? That's not hor- horrible. No, I mean you threw for one hundred and sixty yards, which when you complete seventeen passes, that's not necessarily a great number. No. But the the thing was is he was like I said earlier, he was put into a lot of situations with really really long um, distances to get first downs. Which mm-hmm. I mean, no offense is built to be able to go out and get thirty yard plays on third down. I mean, I just that's very rare in any level of football. Yeah. Um, and Kamara got nothing. I mean, Kamara, that's possibly one of the worst games I've ever seen from him. I think mm-hmm. he had like 47 yards rushing or something like that. Right. I mean, they literally, for some reason, could not block. And I, I think that probably has a lot to do with the Rams. The other thing from the weekend that was really interesting to me was just the 
the the aura of Nashville. I mean, it's not like Nashville is the the biggest city in the United States or the most no. special city, but there's just something about it that's really unique. And walking down on Broadway on Saturday before the game, which kudos to you for for planting that seed instead of doing tailgate, which way better. You there's, can tailgate any game anytime. Exactly, it's nice tail, to be able a, to go and experience a the city. A, a tailgate's a tailgate. You can only experience that in that city. There's no other place where you can go specifically for a football game and and walk directly from like a huge bar hopping party right. situation into a into a football stadium. into a football stadium. Yeah. that's there's that's not anywhere else right it, it's so. a really cool environment but the one thing that just really 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 was weird was just how bad the service was on broadway now oh, i understand that. that it's busy but when we went it was like two o'clock in the afternoon it was not busy there was no one down there and i possibly had the worst experience in terms of a server that i've ever had in my entire life at a restaurant getting food and drinks and <laughs> I now have a lot more appreciation for you for dealing with servers who are on drugs when they're working because I am 1,000% positive that this fellow was on drugs. I mean just yeah, the look it's... at some of the things we said to him that would be very basic to a <laughs> server, just the, the the response of every time was just like, dude, what are you doing? Go get what we just asked for. Like, I don't mean to be mean but like right. – so we had to – we ordered – we got there right at this restaurant and we ordered some beers and the – the beer taps were numbered, right? So they have these these signs that you can tell that they adjust and they move around. Right. And the guy goes and he gets the beer and he comes back and it's very wow. obvious that that the beer's wrong. Mm -hmm. Your dogs are losing it. Did one? Oh no, I thought the one got out no, of the what? cage. I because I heard other set of paws back here, but it's just Potter. Um. And so he goes and he gets the beers and he comes back and they're wrong. Like they're totally wrong. I ordered like a Blue Moon type of beer and I got a the sour this this sour IPA. So we're like, hey, man, you know, I think these beers are wrong. He looks at us. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, man. They they just switched the numbers up there. So th they're right. And, I, and I'm like, okay. I was always taught the customer is always right. But right. I'm like, no, nah, like I'm I'm pretty sure like I drink a lot of beer and this is not what I ordered. And the guy literally this way does. I don't know. And he walks away. <laughs> I mean, I I don't even know what I would have done. That's, did you like go up to the bartender? Or? Well, so I I am one that doesn't like to create a scene or no. I, and I wanna... understand that a manager always says they want to know. So one of our one of my buddies that I was with was like, "You guys are getting bad service. I'm gonna go say something." And he goes to the owner and tells the owner, and nothing happens. My food still costs the exact same amount of money that it did before. Yeah. Um, and it goes on. I don't want to waste and bore you, but it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. I mean, yeah, I deal with as you probably know, I deal with that stuff every day. It's it's one of the more stressful jobs you can have, and I get it. I'm not saving people's lives. Like my fiance always makes fun of me because, like, she's literally like watching people die, and like, you know, seeing you know it, any number of just disgusting, horrifying things, um, on a daily, minute by minute basis as a nurse. Um, but <laughs> it, it it's stressful. We're, being being a restaurant manager is, is one of the more stressful jobs you can have because people's expectations are so high. There's so many moving parts. Right. You know, any restaurant can have any anywhere between 40 and 100 employees. Like it's, I can't imagine. I can't imagine being in that situation. No, especially working at like a four story restaurant, which is what that was. Yeah. And there was a lot of other things going on. But anyways, all right, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here. When we come back, we're gonna talk to to Sean Sean Reed of the Athletic covers Florida State. Uh, he's wrote a couple of really, really good pieces the last few days on what is going on down there. So we're going to talk to him ahead of Saturday's game 
and then we're gonna we're gonna break down what happened in Nashville against Western Kentucky. We'll we'll preview Florida State and we'll get predictions at the end of the show. Stick around. Stick around. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Florida State game, which Louisville will take place in on Saturday down in Tallahassee. We bring on our next guest, Tashawn Reed of The Athletic, who covers Florida State. Tashawn, how you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. It's been a, it's been a couple of uh, interesting weeks down there in Tallahassee. It, last season, Louisville couldn't get out of their own way, and it seems like right now Florida State might be the new program taking the cake in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could say the same about how last season went for them. Just this, this beginning of the season, it's kind of followed the same path, and I think that's part of the frustration is, you know, a lot of the issues that Florida State is having are things that, you know, the, the fan base have been seeing, you know, for the way Louis Packers senior so far. You know, whether last year, last game it was, you know, breaking down down the stretch for penalties or poor coverage in the secondary or just, like you said, just sort of getting in their own way and shooting themselves in the foot when they're in position to win games. Both again, more so against Boise State, obviously, than Virginia, but in both of those games, they were in potential situations where they could have pulled out a big win and they let us go through the fingers. You know, and now they're one and two, you know, heading into this game against Louisville. And, and if they come up empty here, you know, they think we got to do pretty quickly. Deshaun, FSU played basically what amounted to two bad halves um, at the end of Boise State and Louisiana Monroe. Um, it seemed like they started really strong, and then it just kind of, as the game went on, things just began to unravel. Um, against Virginia, they played extremely strong, um, hang, hung right in there. I think Jacob and I were both pretty surprised about how they hung in there with, with Virginia. It came down to the last play um, with a top 25 team on the road, which was a huge game for their program. Um, what's the overall vibe around the program? Do, do you feel like the, this next game is a must-win against Louisville? Is, is, what, what would the vibe be like, I guess, if it didn't result in a win? Well, you know, I think, you know, in talking with the, the coaches and the players, they're going to say every game, you know, is a must-win, kind sure. of that cliche. Um, I, I kind of do think that they, they feel that they've made progress from week one to week three. Um, you know, I, I think you know, I was the person that kind of expected them to lose a little bit more comfortably to Virginia than they actually ended up doing. You know, there were, were a lot of positives through three quarters. They probably played, you know, the best defense that they have for the entire season, obviously. <laughs> you know, the way they started in the first two games, you know, it wouldn't be, it's not saying much for them to make an improvement, but they did show some. Uh, and the, the offense kind of shows some resiliency because for the first time, you know, they didn't get off to that hot start and things weren't coming easy and they actually had to, to fight and battle to score some points and they were able to do so, you know, outside of that last drive. You know, so there were some positive takeaways coming out of Virginia. You know, it wasn't like they fell flat on their face or anything like that. But I do think that, you know, regardless of even if it, if it was a close loss to Louisville this weekend, you know, I think they get in trouble of, of losing the season at that point. So I think this is, you know, like I said, I know it's a little bit cliche, but I do think this is a must-win for them this Saturday. One of the things that's been really interesting to watch is Florida State's offense play really well in a lot of spots and, and really look much improved from last season with James Blackman under center at quarterback and Cam Akers looking like, you know, the next dominant Florida State running back. And part of the, the struggle from what I've seen, and, and I don't know a whole lot about this Florida State team in particular, but it looks like the offense is on the field for a short amount of time and then forcing the defense to then come up, come back onto the field and, and they start to wear down. Do you, do you think that Willie Taggart is going to make any kind of conceded effort um, this weekend to make sure that the defense isn't left on the field for long periods of time? I don't think so. I know that's kind of the narrative just kind of been built in the last couple of days here, you know, stemming from Willie, Willie, Taggart, or Willie Taggart's comments on Monday that, you know, they need to do a better job of, you know, controlling the ball and their time of possession numbers. 
I mean, it's really, you know, if you look at just pure talent position numbers from the Virginia game, it does look bad. But Virginia actually only ran about six more plays than Florida State did in the game. It really comes down to defense hasn't been able to get off the field on third downs, and they've allowed teams to put together long, sustained drives. And that really has a lot more to do with, you know, them staying on the field for so long and facing so many plays than anything the offense is doing. Um, I do think the offense needs to run the ball a bit more. You know, last week, Cam Makers in particular, you only had 18 carries after he had a huge game against ULM. You know, part of that was just the flow of the game. But I think, you know, when when, when the game is that tight and you, you have a lead for, for most of it, I don't think there's any reason for them to throw nearly 40 times in that game, especially, as you said, with the defense kind of getting tired down the stretch and, and seeming like it was losing its control composure after a strong start. And so I, I don't think, you know, the defense struggles has as much to do with the offense as it's been made out to be. No, I, I think it's really on them. We've, we saw on Saturday with Louisville, which I'm not sure if you got any a, a chance to watch any of that Western Kentucky game. We saw Malik Cunningham come in for the first time this season as a starter, relieving Juwan Pass, who was injured. And in the first half, one of the things that was very obvious right away was Louisville's uh, intentional effort to keep drives sustained in long periods of time. Um, and, and over the course of the, the first half, the, they have four, 41 plays, 262 yards accounted for, 19 minutes of possession total. Do you think that Florida State is going to be able to get off the field against a team that's run the ball really well? And if not, what does that mean for them? I think they, they showed that they, they, they're capable of doing it, even though last week you know it didn't turn out in the numbers. But they actually were pretty strong against the run against Virginia. You know, Bryce Perkins got loose a few times, but, but overall they pretty much held the run in check. It's, it's kind of surprising, actually, because, you know, they Virginia were stringing together these long drives and taking chunks of minutes off the clock, but they were mostly throwing the football, just something that you really don't see too often. And so I think, you know, with Louisville being a more run, run-oriented team, you know, I think that if Florida State is able to match its performance against the run that, that it had against Virginia, I think they can pull it off. You know, not to say that it would be easy, because up until last week, their run defense had been pretty terrible. Um, as they kind of gone to more of a multiple front this year, they struggled a lot with alignment and guys filling gaps and being in the correct place. And so there's no guarantee that their success against the run carries over from last week based on what we saw in the first two games of the season. But, you know, I, th- I think it's something that they're capable of doing, especially since, you know, Malik Cunningham, I know he's he's made some progress this year, but I don't think he's on the same level as a pro as Bryce Perkins is, so he's not as much of a threat in that aspect. Um, and so I think with him, maybe they've been able to make Louisville a little bit more one-dimensional than they were with Virginia, and they can find some success. Looking at the other side of the ball, so James Blackman is a name that we've known around Louisville for a long time. Um, Louisville was right in the in the thick of things in his recruitment. Ultimately, ended up going to Florida State. It's been kind of a an up and down career for him, but he started out this season really well. Nine touchdowns, only two interceptions. There's obviously some stuff that um, some plays that he probably would have wanted back against Virginia. Um, but I, I think that you are definitely seeing the progression of James Blackman. It finally seems like they, Florida State, after uh, after a couple of years of of quarterback battles, kind of has their guy now. Um, what what do you make of of his start, and um, what do you see in Louisville's pass rush and secondary? That do you think that they'll be able to kind of di- dissect that and take advantage of of Louisville's defense, or um, do you think he's still more of a work in progress? I think James has made a pretty significant leap from his freshman year. You know, I know he was kind of like a deer caught in the headlights that first year. You know, he only weighed about 160 pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't expect to start pretty much at all. Uh, I think this season, you know, coming in, he kind of knew he would be a guy. I know they you know, framed it as being a competition with Horner, but, but I don't believe it was ever much of one. And so the, the biggest difference with him outside of, you know, gaining about 20 pounds since his freshman year is he just carries himself with a different level of confidence now. 
mm-hmm. and that's translated over to his play over to, on the field. I know obviously there's a new system coming in this year with, with Kendall Browse, but Willie Taggart, his first year, ran a kind of a similar spread of tempo scheme. He wasn't playing much, but he got to the, you know, the practice of that and get comfortable in that. And so I, I think he just entered the year very, very confident and comfortable, and that's translated onto the field. You know, I, I think his kind of next step for him is, you know, kind of making those reads, whether it's in the run pass option game or not getting, he has a tendency to get locked into onto one one receiver and at least into, you know, force some unnecessary throws and maybe lead to some interceptions. And, you know, at the end of the last game, that's something that cost him was, you know, the drive before uh, Virginia took the lead. You know, he had a receiver that was open streaking to what was probably going to be a touchdown and ended up having an incompletion. And then on the last drive, he missed a wide open receiver for what likely would have been another touchdown. So he's kind of still, you know, working out things. He's kind of still growing as a quarterback, even though he's a third-year guy at this point. And so I, I think he's somebody that can have a lot of success, but he's also still susceptible to mistakes. So, no, I think he can have a big game against Louisville, but it's not guaranteed by any means. Um, so go, going into the to <clears throat> this game, do you see this as kind of a statement game? Um, kind of going back a little bit to the defense as well. Do you, do you see um, this is more of a statement game for Florida State's defense? Um, it seems like they they struggled to stop the run, but then again against Virginia, it, they looked a, a lot better. Um, but then, <clears throat> um, uh, then with, with Louisville, you know, Louisville's strength is in the running game, whereas Louisville's but Florida State's strength is in the running defense. Um, so with that being said, um, do you do you think it's kind of like a now or never type of situation for for Florida State secondary? I mean, it, when I when I look at this game, I, I see I don't I don't see Malik Cunningham as a guy who's going to be a threat down the field. So do you see it more of a situation where Florida State's going to try to load the box a little bit more and try to make make Cunningham throw and, and make make Louisville's quarterbacks make some plays? Or um, I guess how do you see how do you see that panning out? I, th- I think I could see that's, that's something that they attempted to do last week against Virginia. You know, especially down the stretch, they were pretty much they pretty much stuck to their base defense. They only you know had two corners and two safeties out there, so they weren't going to a bunch of nickel or dime to sell out against the pass. Even if Virginia had three or even four wide receivers on the field, you know, and it ended up, it ended up costing them down the stretch. I don't know if that'll be the same against Malik Cunningham because, as I said earlier, I don't think he's the same level of passer as Perkins. Agreed. So I do think they're going to test him. You know, make him make him show that he can beat them. And that's something that, even though the defense has kind of been interesting, the secondary has been pretty bad this year, but they haven't allowed very many deep shots. You know, they haven't allowed you to blow the top off the defense, but where other teams have, have been able to have success is picking them apart underneath. And I think that, you know, even if Cunningham doesn't have the best accuracy of this arm, I think any quarterback, you know, if he has receivers running, running loose underneath, he can hit them guys now, especially if he might get pressure. So I think the, the big thing for, for Florida State is going to be you know, seeing if they can rattle him, whether it's, you know, stopping him from running the ball or, or when he does drop back the pass, being able to get some pressure on him. Um, because, like I said, as you saw last week, kind of once Perkins had some time to drop back and survey the field and see the, the receivers running open, he pretty much picked them apart. And they can't, you know, obviously with Louisville having the, the strength that they do in the running game, they can't allow that to happen through there. I found it really interesting reading through your article today on The Athletic about the loss of uh, defensive end and pass rusher Joshua Kando and just the impact that it had on the end of the Virginia game. And one thing that I found very interesting that you wrote about was was Florida State switching back and forth between the 3-4 and the 4-3 and them having success uh, flipping into the 4-3 for the first time of the season. How much of that is 
um, an impact of the new analyst that was hired by Willie Taggart and Jim Levitt? And and do you see that going forward? Do you see Louisville having to deal with both kind of you know switching the four three and the three four, or do you see them kind of picking one and staying with it in terms of just trying to get on the same page moving forward? Well, starting with Levitt, I mean he had only you know been with the team for about two days at that point, so I don't I don't think he. And Willie Tyler kind of said it Monday. He was more so there just watching. I don't know that he had a huge impact on the game plan for that game. But throughout the, the offseason leading up to it, you know, the, the defense coordinator and, and the players have, have been pretty adamant in calling in multiple defense. They never wanted to say that it was, you know, fully going to be a 3-4, that they would still implement some of the things that they, they did before. And that's something that and even the first two games here and there, we would kind of see that 4-3 that stuff that they ran last year. But I, I think they hadn't had the same success with it until until that game against Virginia, and it was kind of interesting to see them go away from it. Uh, and you know, judging from what I observed in practice today, you know, there it seems like they're going to stick with that same scheme, and I, I think Levitt will have a greater effect. You know, as he obviously spends more time with the team, he's somebody that's kind of known for running more of that three-four in his time in Oregon and Colorado. Uh, so I think he can have an impact in, in that area. Um, but they, they've started to, to make a few personnel adjustments. Um, Jaden Mars wouldn't be somebody who has been playing inside linebacker so far, and they've moved him, you know, seemingly to the outside at that edge linebacker role, and they've moved Leonard Warner the third, who's been that edge linebacker for him back inside to the middle. Both of those players do seem to be better fit at those positions. You know, obviously that's yeah, it comes out on Saturday. Um, but I, I think they're probably going to stick with a little bit of the same of what they've been doing so far. You know, it's still early in the season, so I don't think they're going to completely abandon it right now. But, you know, based on what I saw in the game, it did seem they, they performed better in the 4-3 base stuff, which makes sense because that's what they're most comfortable with. They, they played it all last season. Harlan Barnett, you know, and both had Torres in his time in Michigan State. He's never been a guy that leans, you know, super heavy on a 3-4 or used it very much at all. So it makes sense that they were more comfortable in the 4-3. And I think, you know, if things get hairy against Louisville and they struggle to stop the run, I, I think that's probably what they're going to have to lean on if the game gets tight. The national narrative surrounding Florida State and Willie Taggart has been mostly negative since I'd say midway through the the end of last season. You start the season and you know things kind of go wrong right away with the the loss to Boise State and and losing the way that they did to a freshman quarterback. Um, and, and then it just seems like the last couple of weeks things have really snowballed. I mean, obviously you know Willie Taggart comes out and and blames or places some sort of blame on the training staff for the cramping of what happened late. Um, they, they, you know, he hires a defensive analyst two weeks into the season, which any type of personnel changes that quickly typically don't spell a whole lot of positive things. You know, I, I can't speak into it if that's the case here. There's the headlines of right. the, the young the young girl saving up lemonade money to pay Willie Taggart's buyout. There's been, you know, talk of the offseason of the, the ticket sales, uh, the season ticket sales being lower than it has been in quite a long time. In your mind right now, is Willie Taggart on the hot seat? And is there any scenario where if Louisville comes in there and, and blows out Florida State, which I'll be the first to say I don't see a scenario where that happens, but is there any chance that this could be the last time Willie Taggart's on the sidelines for Florida State? I don't believe so. I think it's less about you know his performance so far and just a matter of Florida State really is in a position, in a position to be able to do that right now, just financially, that his buyout would be you know, somewhere in the range of about around $17 million, you know, and then not only, obviously, when you fire a coach, you have to go out and hire one as well, so that pushes it up into the $20 million plus range, and that's just liquid cash that the, the school just doesn't have right now, kind of as you spoke to, you know, season ticket sales have been declining for several years, not just, you know, under Willie Taggart, but the last couple of years against Jimbo Fisher, they were also declining, and uh, this past year, in the past couple of years, actually, the athletic department has been operating as a, as a deficit, and that's only going to increase this year with the decline in ticket sales. They've gone down by about, I believe, 
$7 billion. That's obviously a big loss of revenue. Um, and so I think even if, even if they wanted to, you know, it's something that'd be very difficult to pull off, uh, especially, you know, this early on in his tenure with the amount of guaranteed money that he has left on his contract. But on the same token, I don't think that's necessarily something that the athletic department is looking to do at this point. Um, obviously things can change if the season completely falls off the rails. You know, kind of as you said, they get blown out by Louisville and they go on to finish, you know, two and 10 or three and nine. And okay, we might have, you know, a conversation at that point. I think even if they went, say, six and six this year, I still don't think he gets axed at any point this season. I think Blue Tigers are going to see a third season, you know, primarily, you know, if nothing else, just because the school really isn't in a position financially to be able to, to separate from them. Right, and I think it's that three-year point typically in college football. There's just such a transition um, culturally with the new coaching staff. So um, I, I'm in complete agreement with you unless things just go up in flames. Um, I think this this is a situation where um, Louisville fans have had to do this over and over over the last 20 years, kind of just employing some patience and waiting um, for things to kind of fall into place. I think that Florida State has, has the athletes to um, to really turn things around this season. Um, what's What's one key to the game? that uh, nobody's talking about at this point. So say if, if, if Florida State just does X better, um, they could really turn things around. Or if Louisville does X better, then they can come in and steal one. Uh, what, what's something in your mind that people that's not a huge storyline, but um, and, but it's it could play a huge role um, or, or in, any kind of role in, in, in the Louisville-Florida State matchup? I think something that, you know, particularly if the game winds up being a close one, um, and it's something that people really don't talk about unless things go wrong, and that's probably special teams, I would say, for Florida State, because you know, as the line of the team has been over these first three weeks, and you know the issues that they had, they've had on you know defense, and the criticisms that they had about you know maybe the offense moving too quickly, you know special teams really haven't been talked about, and that's because they've been actually pretty good this year. Um, they've had their, their starting punter been suspended all for the last two games, actually for a violation of team rules, and they've had you know, pretty much walk in, step up in his place, and there's been no drop-off. Actually, there's been a little bit of an, an improvement. And I think, you know, it's something that last year was, was pretty disastrous for them. That's why they let their special teams coordinator go in the offseason. And, you know, this game comes down to a one-possession game down the wire, obviously something like, you know, a missed field goal or a bucket coverage on a punt return or a kick return or a fumble by a return man could obviously, you know, swing the game. And so I think that's something that, as I said, the game winds up being close, which obviously all three of the games have been so far, you know, either a mistake or a performer really well. Such things could be something that ends up deciding it. I want to take you back real quick a, a few years ago. So let's hop in the time machine and go back to Saturday, September 17th. For Louisville fans, they'll know what that date is, particularly that's when they put the 63-20 to beat down on Florida State. Since then, things have, you know, both programs have really kind of, I don't want to say fallen apart because I think that's a tad bit dr dramatic, but from where both of those programs stood that day, things have gone way differently. When it comes to Florida State facing Louisville, what, what is it like? What, what are the fan base, what does the fan base think of Louisville as a football program? How has that changed since that date in 2016 where they, where Louisville handed Florida State their worst loss in program history? Because I've always just been kind of curious of what Florida State thought about Louisville. Mm -hmm. I think coming off of last season, you know, with it being, you know, a two and ten campaign for Louisville and, you know, then making the coaching change, I, I think among the fan base anyway, the expectation is Louisville is a team that we should beat. You know, that's has been a game one of those games on the schedule where they look at it and like, Oh, this this is a very winnable game, this game we should for sure win at home, you know. And so I think that, you know, on that token there would be a certain level of re reaction if they do go on to lose this Saturday. 
that'd be very much so different than, you know, losing on the road to a tough Virginia team that's ranked in the top 25 or, or losing even at home to a Boise State team that's been good every year, a 10-win team every year, is now also ranked in the top 25. You know, if you lose to an unranked Louisville team, even though they've shown improvement this year on the Scott Patterson Shore team, I think that's, that's something that the fan base will be pretty up on about. And so I think even though both programs have, have, as you said, kind of been in a downward trajectory since that game, you know, I think they still view themselves as being superior in a way or being, you know, even if it's just from a talent standpoint, being on a different level right now than Louisville. You know, whether or not that's true, obviously we'll see with Saturday. Um, but that's just kind of kind of the expectation the fan base has. I think from, you know, internally, you know, and obviously more importantly from the coaching staff and the players they have, you know, a ton of respect for Louisville as a program, especially Scott Firefield. It's a thing very obvious with him. And they're not taking it lightly at all. I don't, I don't think you can take anyone lightly when you're one and two and you, you have to go to overtime to, to be ULM, you know. So it's definitely not a situation where FSU is overlooking them or, or taking them lightly, but I do think the fan base, even with the way the season has started, you know, expects them to, to beat Louisville. All right, we'll get you out of here on this without compromising anything that you've you've wrote for the athletic. We'd like to hear your prediction for Saturday. You can give us a score if if you're up for that, and then one key for Florida State to pull out a win. Um, a specific score I didn't have in mind. I, I, I do think that Florida State will come out with the win. Um, you know, I, I think it'll be somewhere in the range of a seven to ten point win for Florida State. Um. I think the key for Florida State, and we've kind of talked about it a little bit here, is getting the ball to Cam Akers. Um, I think, you know, in that ULM win, he pretty much carried the team. He almost did everything offensively for them down the stretch there. And for him to get, you know, only half the carry that he got, obviously he's not going to get 36 carries every week. But, you know, last week against Virginia, he only had 18 carries. There were some series where he didn't even see the field, and, and that simply can't happen, especially against a Louisville team that's had immense success running the football. Um, you know, Florida State is slow down with their tempo to try to match that, but they can run the ball, kind of put together some more sustained drives and take some more time off the clock and kind of, you know, take some of that workload off of the defense. And I think that starts to get some can make it the ball. All right, Deshaun, thank you so much for your time. You guys can uh, follow Deshaun's work on The Athletic uh, along with many other great writers. We appreciate your time and uh, look forward to seeing some of your stuff after the game on Saturday. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, sir. Well, I, I, I don't know about you, but I thought that was really interesting because um, there's a lot in there about Willie Taggart specifically that I really didn't expect anybody around the Florida State program to be saying because we would just went through the 2-10 and 10 season where it looks every week was getting progressively worse. And if you remember last season, you start the season kind of strong and then you kind of, you know, as the weeks go by, things get progressively worse. And that's what I thought might be happening at Florida State. But according to Sean, they still feel pretty comfortable with Willie Taggart, and maybe that's more financially motivated than anything. Could be, and, and I walked or walked in. I went into the conversation with with Deshaun, kind of expecting him to be a little bit more negative on Florida State's situation, but um, he seemed pretty upbeat about potential of their team. I think that he, you know, he feels like the Louisville game could really be a turnaround game for them. And and again, you know, I kind of echo his sentiments in a lot of areas. I think that Florida State's a really talented team. I think that they're definitely a bowl team. It's just about right. them getting the pieces together. You know, I, I think when you look at when you compare them to Louisville's situation last year, um, I think that there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of people who were rubbed the wrong way a by you know Petrino's personality. Like he it was he he'd already come back and he'd already had he 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 was getting getting a second chance. So any mistake that he made was going to be amplified automatically. Um, he's already getting paid 
like way overpaid. His buyout was ridiculous. Right. And then in addition to that, the expectations were high going into last season because of the the poor performance with one of the best players in college football history. You know, you go you go basically nine and four nine and four and eight and five with Lamar Jackson quarterbacking your team. Um, you know, y- you have to do at least that and and play above what the expectation is the following season, or else I, I think that you're going to be on the hot seat. Right. Um, and I I just don't. It, they're not at that point yet with Willie Taggart. There he's only coached what this is like his 14th, 15th game. So this would be his. This will be his 16th game because they yeah. played 12 last year, didn't go to a bowl, and right. then this will be his fourth game of the season. You know, uh, before we jump into Florida State and talk about that game and kind of preview and, and react more to what Tashawn said, let's let's rewind a little bit and go back to Saturday to the Western Kentucky game, which I know you worked during the game mm-hmm. and you probably weren't able to watch a whole lot. Have you been able to watch the the? I I, I understand. So I was you know watching way more than I probably should have, um, but um, from from the gist I've got from watching the game, um, I have a pretty good feel for for what happened. Um, it pretty much went exactly the way that I expected it to. Um, I think that in, in my personal opinion, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later on. Um, in, in my opinion, I think that with Juwan pass, that might be more like a 44 to 14 type game. Like, I think maybe we score one or two more times and Western doesn't score one or two more times just because of some of the little mistakes that were made. But then again, um, you really don't, you really truly don't know. I thought that given that it wasn't in Cardinal Stadium, so it's Satterfield's first game away from, from home, um, given the weather, given um, just the, the situation as a whole, right. I felt like it went about as, as smoothly as it, as it could have. Like we, we know that they're going to be mistake-prone. We know that they're going to kind of you know tire, tire out towards the end of the game, particularly in a game where it was, like you said, 95, 100 degrees. Right. Um, There's so, going to be mental mistakes towards the end of the game, absolutely. which you saw in – you know they've talked about it all summer. There's just not a lot of depth on this team, and and Scott Satterfield was asked, I think either after the game or on Monday during his press conference, do you feel like cultivating depth in the season is easy? And he quite frankly just said, no, this is not easy. No, not going to be building much depth of any no. uh, until we're forced to, because that's just the way it works in football. But it's really interesting. Here, here's what I, I walked away from the game encouraged by how many points they scored, because I didn't think that this offense was capable of putting up 38 on a even a mid-major team at that. I just the offense really? has been really good, but they've done more methodically than they have big play. At the game, I and I'm just gonna say at the game, I did not think Malik Cunningham looked very good. I I have yeah. since gone back and seen highlights, and things were a little bit different. Western Kentucky did a really good job, surprisingly even better job than Notre Dame of of giving the offensive line a tough time, mm-hmm. but I. At the game, it looked like Cunningham didn't even go into one read. It was a quick glance to his first target and then run. And the numbers show that. 16 carries for 46 yards, only an average of 2.9. And I thought that the offense just got – I don't want to say lucky because you don't luck into big plays, but they the, the big plays are what saved them. The 2-2, you know, the 50-yard um, jet sweep, and then you had the, the deep pass from Malik, which, you know, that was a great-looking ball. Um, but at the game, I, I just felt like Malik ran the football every opportunity he got, and right. it really, it really allowed Western Kentucky to just focus in on that, right. and that's what's going to continue to happen week in and week out. And so it makes me a little bit nervous heading into Florida State. Uh, but at the same time, the offense was the best it was all season. You can't argue that thirty-eight points. Mm-hmm. And and again, you know, obviously they scored forty, what forty-two against Eastern. Yeah, but Eastern 
clearly, I think I think that we saw we had speculation that maybe Eastern could beat Western. I don't I don't think that's the case anymore. No, no, no. I, I think after watching Western Kentucky play on Saturday, I think the narrative of them not being a very good team is is one that's not true, and maybe would have been a little bit different had they not lost to Central Arkansas to open their season. I think that right. could have changed the narrative of two and zero. Things are could get interesting. Um, but here here's where I thought Louisville really won. We wa- we talked about it last week. Gage Walker, the running back from Western Kentucky, was dynamic through the first two. Yeah. Four, 41 yards. I mean, Louisville gave up 42 yards rushing. And I think one of my predictions in, in the article last week was that Louisville wasn't going to give up 100 yards rushing. And, and when I watched the tape, I wasn't – Walker was impressive for their division. Like, I think that's a guy that could have 1,000 yards this year. Easily, yeah. But he – kind of remind me of of Dominic Brown a little bit. He's just kind of a taller um more of like a bruiser type back. He's more of a straight line runner and somebody who doesn't who lacks the elusiveness um that that you need in in a high level div- on a high level division 1 team, you know. When, when right. you watch when you watch um when you watch Hall and Hawkins break long plays, it's because they've made multiple guys miss. Right. You have to, when you're playing it, even, even a Louisville defense who I think we can both agree is kind of middle of the road talent wise, um, for, for the ACC. Um, even when you're playing a a team like that, you're going to have to make one, two, three guys miss in order to get a five, six, eight, ten yard run. And he was just, he was picking his holes and Louisville was closing up the gaps really quickly. Um, so I, I thought in the run defense, they looked impressive um obviously western kentucky's quarterback wasn't much of a threat to run um but they really you know really kind of nixed that in 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 the bud really quickly so i thought that was that was one of the most um impressive things about watching the defense the other thing too is they they uh again went without an interception um so there's a there's a lot of uh you know they obviously had the the two fumble forces which which was huge the two fumble recoveries um, but again, lacking in interceptions and still doing a decent job against WKU's passing attack. So um, I was impressed, A, with the run defense, and I was impressed with, with uh, particularly um, your guy, um, Anthony Johnson. Um, I, I thought that, you know, we, we saw uh, pro football focus had Johnson ranked as um, the best, one of the better cornerbacks in the ACC this past week. Um, and I think that's finally coming to fruition. He's a guy that we talked about since midseason last year who – He's he's a guy who over his last two seasons is going to probably become a star in the ACC. So yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the thing that was really interesting about Anthony Johnson was they clearly, clearly thought that they had a mismatch on him. Which I, I don't I don't really know. Obviously, not being a football coach, I don't know what gave them that idea. I don't know what film they watched to think that they could target him. But he was targeted. The, the receiver that he was covering was targeted eleven times. It was an ACC high for the weekend. Right. Completed, I think, seven of them for 70 yards, which sounds like a lot. But the way that he played, I mean, between him and Chandler Jones, who I think are clearly the team's one and two corner uh, cornerbacks, and pro football focus named Chandler Jones, who talked about Anthony Johnson as the honorable mention cornerback of the week for, okay. for the ACC. So that's Louisville's two corners. Um, I, I thought that that was one of the biggest wins of the of the weekend was Anthony Johnson now has firmly supplanted himself as that second corner. I think that he offers a lot on the outside, and uh, they they really did a, a great job of not giving up anything big and keeping everything in front of them, um, despite the 77-yard touchdown from that. I think it was the tight end that scored. I, I don't, I'm not sure if that was a receiver yeah, so or a tight it, end. But he looks slow. 
that that was the funny part. And man, that play was really confusing. Yeah, tight end, a freshman at that. Yeah. So that's that's really the only time we've seen that happen this year is somebody just get which as we talked about, Louisville's defense does not allow big plays. Right. That um, was I, their first forty-plus yard play of the season. And it was what seventy-seven yards. Seventy-seven that was, yards. That was shocking. And, and there was nobody near him. And if you look and, at the play, I, I think it was. I, I don't know. I don't remember if it was C.J. Avery or Nick O.K.K. There was a linebacker that was it supposed was, to cover him. It was. Um, oh gosh, number fifteen. Who are you? I'm trying to think. Of, oh, number fifteen. Yeah, it was. I cannot oh think of the goodness. guy's name. Who is number fifteen? He's 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 a he's a second string second string linebacker. It's not P.J. Blue. It's not C.J. Avery. Look it up. Look I, it up. I am because I have no – this is the thing that sucks about having a new football team every yes. year is I don't ever know who and anybody is. And the number is. changes kill oh, me. Oh, it was Quinn Head. Quinn, Quinn Head, Head who plays you. that backup card spot. Right. Um, yeah, he just, just did diagnose the play wrong, and the guy was wide open, and um, you had came past and uh, another player just trying to just chase him down. And somebody got close, which was really good. And that in itself, as corny as it sounds, is a win because last season that's a 77-yard touchdown with no one 30 yeah, yards near. He could have done like cartwheels down the field. Right, right, exactly. Or there was an NFL player this weekend who caught a pass. I think it may, might have been it was, Thursday it was night. O- was it Odell last no, night? No, it was somebody on – I think it was Thursday night. Yeah, it was against the – I think it was one of the – either a Buccaneer or Panther. But they caught a pass and then walked the final 30 yards because there was nobody near them, <laughs> um, which is just the ultimate disrespect move of I just caught a touchdown and I'm just going to walk to show you how slow and bad your defense is. Um, but, no, I, I, that play that play didn't really bother me. I mean, it sucked, obviously, to give up that score. But the way – again, for the 15th time this season, Louisville gets you know put up against the ropes and they quickly bounce back. I mean, they had already scored a touchdown the drive before – they come back and score in eight plays, um, and you know they, it just shows again that that improvement of not not quitting and being able to to fight harder when they get down and or put in a bad spot. So that was that was a big win. Here's the other thing. I I don't know what's going on. Scott Satterfield keeps saying it, and I'm having. I don't want to say this. This is going to sound bad, but just understand where I'm coming from. I'm having Bobby Petrino flashbacks of Bobby continuing to say the same thing every single week and it just not happening. Scott Satterfield continues to express the need for his outside receivers to get targets and it's just I, not happening. It's just not happening. I don't I mean I don't think Des Fitzpatrick even got a target um against Western Kentucky. Maybe one at that. De, uh, Seth had Seth Dawkins I think had one catch, maybe two. I don't think he got another target outside of what he caught. He had he had three catches, I'm sorry, for 21 yards. They have just been – I mean, the, the receiving core for Louisville has just been non-impactful outside of 2-2 Atwell. It's 2-2 Atwell, Marshawn Ford, mm-hmm. and everything else is on the ground. They, they really cannot get the ball to Fitzpatrick. And I'm trying to balance, you know, well, is the defense blanketing him and taking him away? Yes, they are. They, they clearly are. And now that's going to have to change because defenses can't let 2-2 Atwell get right. free like they are. So maybe that will change. But – it, it, it the thing that's impressive is Fitzpatrick continues to block, continues to lead, continues to do the right things. But what do you do? I don't I don't know if you have a quarterback that can get them the ball. I mean, and this is to me this is the storyline. Um, you know, I, it, at this juncture, it doesn't look like Juwan Pass is going to play. Um, and, and we can get into this a little bit later, but it doesn't. I, to me, I don't think he's going to play. Uh, just because they have a bye week coming up, I think that if you have a guy who it sounds like he's been he's been dealing with the injury since week one. Um, so it, 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 I think they want Fitz, or they want uh, Pass to get fully healed up. I right. think that they still see him as the number one quarterback. So to me, the number one story is how do you get Seth Dawkins and Des Fitzpatrick the ball? Um, you know, against Western, 
21 yards from Dawkins on three catches, but they were like, I don't know if you remember, they were just like bubble screens, like basically just like getting him, you know, kind of open out in the flat, but that's not going to do much for Seth Dawkins. No, because he's, he's, he's a, a big guy. He, he's got to be a yeah. red zone target or a guy that um, you get, you know, one-on-one -on -one scenarios with and you he has the advantage size-wise, and that's not been the case so far. Fitzpatrick, zero catches. So, so here, con combined, well, I was going to say combined for the year, they've had eight catches, 81 yards, and one touchdown. And the one touchdown was like a three-yard, four-yard play maybe where Pash just kind of, it was on fourth down um, and, and deep in the red zone and Pash just kind of scrambled to the right against Eastern Kentucky and somehow Fitzpatrick just kind of ended up wide open. Like it was just... A, like, are, you, are you talking about the touchdown? The, the yeah. one touchdown that they've right. accounted for. So Yeah, and, and here's the other thing. And... I, again, I don't think this is a slight, but this is a question that I have now seeing Fitzpatrick in the offense, and it could be that I haven't focused on him enough, but is he just not very fast? Like, is he a guy that's very good route runner, and he gets his separation based off of being able to out footwork and out execute his corner? Um, because, you know, guys like Tutu, I mean, I, well, I should say guys, guy like Tutu Atwell just continues to be open mm -hmm. all the time. And I don't know if that's a lack of coverage or if that's just him out bur just burning everyone. And, but it just made me wonder is maybe, maybe Des Fitzpatrick is a little bit slower than we thought. And again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I'm not accusing. I'm not saying he is. It's just a question because he looked unstoppable as a freshman and regressed last season, not at any fault of his own. And then this season, you know, you came into the year thinking this was the year he goes for a thousand yards. Mm -hmm. He's going to be the guy. And I think he has three or four catches, three games in, yards and just has really been yeah. ineffective. And I, and I don't know if that's his fault. I don't know if he's not fast enough. I don't, I, I don't really know. I mean, Justin Marshall has more, more receiving yards than he does. And he caught two passes in the same game. Right. It's, so here's what Satterfield had to say about it because he started off, one of the first questions was asking about how you get more playmakers involved, not specifically talking about them, but uh, he, Satterfield continued to say, he said it last week, he said it again this week, um, that they want to get them the ball. He said again, Caesar in Kentucky, that they tried to make it a, a focus, but that um, Dawkins and Fitzpatrick both had a play where their number was called and they ended up tripping on the route or, you know, they thought there was a pass interference and it just didn't, you know, it wasn't called. Um, but to me, you know, I, I know that they want to limit the passing and they, they want to get the ball in the running back's hands. But to me, I, I think on second and third down, they, they have to start showing up because at the end of the day, um, even with Tutu Atwell with his speed and, and you know, how great he's looked, I, I think to, at least from what I've seen and maybe, you know, Petrino's offense was deceiving us, but, I thought that Fitzpatrick and Dawkins were two of the best players on this offense. Like I, I thought it wasn't even close. Yeah, and, and I don't think that's changed. I think that, I, I think that there is now some serious questions about the use of receivers in Satterfield's offense, which we've talked about all offseason. Maybe, maybe you know the receivers on this team are the best he's ever had, but maybe it doesn't matter because he doesn't throw to receivers, you know, often enough for it, for it to really, you know, be a big impact on an offense, but. You know, it, it's one of those things. I I don't think at this point it's worth criticizing because it could just be a matchup thing. It, you know, like I said, it could be that they've really made every team has made the the dedicated choice if we're going to take away Fitzpatrick. It, see, and that's the thing. Like I I, I want to think that, but then if, if you're Western Kentucky and you saw the first two games, you're game planning for Hassan Hall and 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 Javion Hawkins. Right. You're putting like that's that's plan one, two, and three, and then you know that from from seeing last year you know that Lee Cunningham can't throw the ball more than 30 yards accurately right. 30 40 yards if if i mean right i if, mean 
the sideline throw is not one that I saw. No, and, and that's that's their specialty, right? So Fitzpatrick and Dawkins are both sideline guys. Right. Um, it also intrigues me, too, um, that Fitzpatrick, when he had his breakout freshman year, I feel like he was more of a slot guy. You know, a lot of his catches are right up the seam, right down the middle, um, you know, wide open in the back of the end zone type of thing. Um, so I wonder if it's more of like a position change. You know, I wonder if 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 uh, excuse me, Atwell is more of the the Desvix Fitzpatrick of this offense now, um, just because oh, of, of, of the way that he lines up in the the position where yeah, he lines up, right? And he, more than anything, and he's he's just used it. And I wrote about it earlier before the season. He, I mean, he literally gives them everything. He gives them a guy who can carry the ball. He gives them a guy who can catch the ball. He gives them a guy who can throw the ball. I mean. It's cliche to say, but I, I definitely think that he is the number one weapon on this offense, and it's not hard to, to see why because of how fast he is. Right. To you, biggest takeaway from the Western Kentucky game before we, we jump into Florida State? Uh, the, to me, the biggest takeaway is I you know, uh, I think a lot of people are going to disagree with me because he was 9 for – I believe 8 for 13 is 9 for 14 on the season. I don't think Malik Cunningham is the guy. I just don't. I think that he is a an, an incredible talent. I think that he's a guy that – um, is going to have a place on this team no matter where that is. Um, and I think he's a guy that you have to, to get on the field. I think he needs to be on the field every single game. I don't think that he's the starting quarterback. I don't think that you compete in the ACC with him as, as the starting quarterback. And I don't know if one, if Louisville wants to play that game where they try to survive the season with a quarterback who's not reading his progressions, quarterback who's trying to get out of the pocket at every chance. And Again, this is something that that Western Kentucky expected. You know, you saw the first drive immediately. He's like, okay, let me just escape the pocket and get comfortable in the game. And he's getting sacked or he's getting brought down like for very minimal gain. I think their first drive was three plays, negative three yards. So it's um, it's concerning to me. The the biggest takeaway for me, though, is that um, I think that Louisville, there's still obviously a threat for, for downfield passes. Um, especially with a guy like Tutu Atwell. Right, right. Um, so that that's that's number one takeaway. But number two is that I am still pe- pessimistic about um, what was going to look like um, in, in the passing game. I think that they have to get their passes up to 18, 20, 25 um, attempts a game. I think that, and I think that they called probably 20 to 25 pass plays um, between in, in the first three quarters with Cunningham in, and I think that it ended up being 13 attempts. Um, you saw a lot of him rolling out and pump faking and pump faking and then trying to, to make something out of nothing, and it just didn't come to fruition. You know, when you have a team that's game planning for you specifically, um, that I think that in the end that that's what that's going to look like. Yeah, for me the biggest takeaway is just that Louisville has, I think, firmly established their identity as a team that's going to run the football hard. Um, they're not going to get away from what they do based off of what an opponent is doing to them, which is really nice because even in basketball, and, and even in football with Lamar Jackson, I mean, you saw it time and time again where Louisville tried to be something that they weren't against teams that um, sometimes were of lesser quality. And, and for mm-hmm. Louisville, or, or really, really good, I think that Louisville has continued to show under Scott Satterfield that they are going to be who they are. He has said this, and you know, I think a lot of the times we take it as coach speak, but I think that he's just a very real human being, and he's saying, we're not worried about anybody else. We're worried about us, and we're going to mm-hmm. do us, whether it's Florida State, whether it's Eastern Kentucky, whether it's Louisiana Monroe, uh, or Eastern High School. Like We're going to be whoever we are. We're not going to worry about what they're doing. That doesn't mean we're not going to game plan, but we're going to continue to be us. And it was just really nice to see Louisville stick with that, even with Western Kentucky coming back late in the, in the game and continuing to, to run the football 
have long sustained drives because that's how honestly they're going to win games. So let's let's jump in and let's talk about Florida State. I think this is the game that most fans have circled on their calendar as the um, the game where we're going to really know what we have because you know with Notre Dame top ten team you're not expecting to beat them you just hope to compete. Check Eastern Kentucky. They're not a good team. You're not going to learn anything. Just blow them out. Get some reps for young guys. Check. Western Kentucky, it's going to be a bit more of a challenge. You're going to probably have some parts where you struggle. You're going to probably learn a lot about what you're what you're able to do and just, um, just how – I don't want to say how good you are, but just what you can get away with, I mm-hmm. guess. Now at Florida State, despite them being one and two, they're a you know one of the most prestigious programs in the country. Uh, they have a roster full of four and five star players, and for Louisville, this is the measuring stick of where you figure out in the ACC whether you're going to be a team that can compete for a bowl game. Absolutely, I mean, and and I think that we circled this game on the calendar. I, I think that the expectation for the game has changed. I, I think that, um, I think that Louisville fans, I think a lot of people saw it as a game that that was a winnable game. I still think that we see things that way, but the way that that the season has played out has been really intriguing to me Um, just because we saw this as a game that Florida state was going to overlook. And now Florida state's the team that's sitting at one and two, right? They, this is a must win for them for sure. So when you come in with that attitude, when they're clearly going to come up with a chip on their shoulder, this is a game that they're going to take seriously. Um, To me that that's, that's concerning because it's not, not that we're going to come in and just steal a win but by any means, but I, you know, to to me, I, I think that the that the narrative of the game changes to, you know, it, it's going to be hard for for Louisville to reach deep down inside, and, um, you know, I, again, I I don't I don't want to say that Louisville's not going to want it more, but you know, it, it's going to be tough to go on the road and to no matter the size of the crowd, it's going to be their first kind of hostile environment, um, and and kind of have that. We're going to see what they're made of. We're going to see right. what, what kind of fortitude they have, basically. Right, and how far they, they've come. For me, this is a just this is a really interesting game because I think that what Florida State is really bad at, Louisville is really good at. And obviously that spells you know out pretty well for them picking up the victory. And when I say that, here are a couple of statistics to back that up. Louisville is uh, the they, – they average 260 yards per game on the ground, 17th in the country, rush defense – Florida State is 85th in the country, 170 yards. So I'm going to give that that check to Louisville there. I think they they've got the ability to be able to to score uh, and run the football. The second thing that we talked about with uh, with Tashawn that which is really interesting to me, and when I read it when you first when I first read through the questions for him, I was really confused about. Um, but we talked about time of possession. Louisville is 77th in the country, averaging total almost 30 minutes of of possession time in a game. Right. Compared to 23 minutes for for Florida State at 130th in the country, they're pretty much dead last. Right, exactly. And, and then here here's where it gets a little bit more interesting. Louisville is is 25th in the country in sacks per game at three. They're actually tied with Florida State, but they have the edge in sacks allowed. Florida State gives up three per game. I mean that's that's a lot. That's a that's a lot. And then that they have a very very bad offensive line they have for several years, and I think Louisville for the first time may be able to take advantage of it. Continue on. One of the things Deshaun talked about was Florida State's inability to shot to stop uh, short plays. Excuse me, mm-hmm. to stop the 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 ten to the five, the seven, the the thirteen yard plays. When it comes to plays of ten plus yards, Louisville is fortieth in the country with forty six. Um, and then with plays of twenty plus yards, they're seventeenth and they have seventeen thirty fourth in the country. 
for the defense, Florida State has allowed 16 plays of 20-plus yards, 102nd in the country. So that, that 10 to 20-yard play is where Louisville is going to have to win the game. Right. Uh, and I could go on. I think there's several other statistics in here that show. But to me, the biggest factor in this game is can Louisville repeat what they did against Western Kentucky, which is what I asked Deshaun. If they hang on to the football and they continue these long, sustained drives, but I guess the question would be can they do that, not will they do that. But right. can they do that against a defense that has some really talented guys? Right, and we you you just alluded to this just now, and and we wrote about this in some of our keys to the game. We're going to talk about this throughout the week on the website. Louisville wins this game by winning the by winning the turnover battle. I think point blank period. I, I think that if they lose the turnover battle, I don't think Louisville has a shot because I think that this is their first true test of um, having to, having to face an offense that's really very just very talented, very fast. Um, I think Notre Dame has has a solid offense. I think they have a quarterback who, again, was in the Heisman talk going into the season. I don't know how that's going to play out in, in, in the end. Ian Blackman? Book. Oh, Ian, Ian, I, yeah, I, yeah. I was like, wait, no, well, no, I must have missed that. Notre Dame. However, gotcha, gotcha. I think that Blackman is, is just as talented of a quarterback at this juncture as Ian Book is. It's just they do it in completely different ways. Right, correct, correct. But uh, there's so much athleticism on this team. Um, point being, I, I don't think that Louisville's going to be able to keep Florida State out of the end zone meaning that they're going to have to score some points too, and they're going to have to do it methodically. Um, and, and the way to do that is, is to force turnovers. Um, Satterfield alluded to it in, in his press conference. You know, he said, we still have zero interceptions, which is a, that's a big deal to this coaching staff. They, right. they, they win and lose ball games based off of turnovers. Right, and that's one of the things that we were sold on with Brian Brown is, you know, I think App State was in the top 10 couple, of, in the top 20 at least of the last two years under him as the defensive coordinator in interceptions. Mm -hmm. They have and, zero. And that's, I mean, to me, that's a huge concern, but that could also be one of the, those situations where, you know, there's been opportunities and, and all of a sudden Louisville seizes the day in, in a game and has two or three. So I, I think that's very possible. Yeah, and, and it's really worrisome because if you were going to get an interception, you were going to do so against Western Kentucky. We talked about this last week, but Stephen Duncan had thrown four picks through two games. Um, whereas James Blackman has two, and they both came against Louisiana Monroe. I mean, other than right. that, he's been pretty much perfect on the season. Um, but but here's the other thing. Louisville, one thing they cannot do is they cannot get into a shootout with Florida State. They are exactly. going to lose every game this season if yeah. they have to score. If they have to score more than 30 points, I think you're in trouble. I was about to say, if they allow, if they allow five touchdowns, I don't think that they can win a game this year. Just because of the way that the offense is set up. I mean, again, it's all about sustained drives. We're, we're looking at periods. We're looking at games where they're having 11, 12 offensive possessions. Um, whereas when Petrino was here, especially in those Grantham years, they were getting the ball 10 times a half. Right. I mean, sometimes you would have Gerard Holman picking off a pass every two drives. I mean, right. Yeah. Whereas I mean, so far the season, and the other thing is that they've, and maybe mis, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think I've seen a scenario where they've gotten close to an interception. No. There's not even been like a drop ball or a ball that's been tipped that they were close right. to. I mean, they they have been playing tight man to man coverage and it's been they've been really good at keeping things underneath them, but they've not been really good at being able to take risk and get after the football. And you know, I, I think that kind of comes back to getting pressure on the quarterback too. So um James Blackman is not uh elusive by any means. No, he's, not mobile he's, at all. He's mobile well, he's mobile in the pocket, but he's not a guy who's gonna take off running. So it's interesting to me to see against uh, 
a kind of banged up offensive line that's just not looked good for the last few years. Yeah, I mean, they, um, it, it, it's interesting to me because I mean, we said this about Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky only allowed one sack for the entire year. I think Louisville had two, right? One. They had one, so they had, they had one. one. The one that which was a great sack by the yeah, way. That was Mon- an awesome play. Montgomery made a great play. Well, that was a, that was a by design. That that play was awesome. So mm-hmm. the, basically, the defensive front basically took their offensive line in one direction. Montgomery acted like he was going that way, and then he went straight up the middle. Yeah. And as a guy of that size, it's a perfect play for him. Exactly. And, but regardless, I, I think that there could be a lot more um, situations like that with, with Florida State's offensive line. Um, I think that, you know, the, especially towards the end of that Virginia game, their offensive line was just deceived. Like, that, like Blackman was just trying to escape from his for his life. And, uh, you know, we, we, we talked with Deshaun about, about some of those plays that he wished that he could have had back. Right. Um, and – that a lot of that was probably due to the pressure that that was being applied to him. That that final drive when they were driving down the field, Virginia committed a bunch of penalties, gave them a bunch of chances, but right. he was getting pressured like crazy, um, and he could not he could he couldn't hit his guys downfield. Um, there, I mean, he he basically missed a guy that was running wide open without. Did you get a chance to watch the game at all? I did not. He, no, so I, he, I saw a couple of the the highlight plays, but I did not watch. So it. so they were driving on their game winning drive. They're down by seven. There's like, I believe, two or three minutes left in the game. Um, and they had a receiver break wide open. And Blackman, over, you know you know how passes missed a few passes like that. He, he had a guy wide open and just completely overthrew him by 5, 10, 12 yards. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that he is a guy who, when given time, is, is a top-tier ACC quarterback. However, he's playing behind an offensive line who's struggled Louisville's defensive line has shown that they have the ability to get into the opposing backfield. Um, so it's going to be an interesting matchup. And it, I, I think that it it could the game could ultimately boil down to how, how that works out. Yeah. And the other thing I think that, you know, it's going to be really interesting is what do you what do you do at quarterback? I mean, obviously, I think this game you're kind of strapped to, to playing Malik, but if Juwan is healthy, I think that maybe that's a better matchup in terms oh, yeah. of I mean, Florida State because if I mean there, let me let me get the stats back out so that I'm in my handy dandy notebook here so that I'm correct on what the exact number is of yards that they've given up and I'm clearly yeah, filibustering it, it, here to open this notebook. It's like 938. That's yeah, so far past defense, they've averaged they've given up an average of 315 yards per game. Which Louisville, that's, I don't even think Louisville has 315 passing yards on the season. <laughs> I mean, they do, but it, it doesn't feel like that. I'm gonna look that up because I don't. I, yes, if they, they do, do, it's close. No, it's Louisville, very close. Louisville has I'm gonna guess 554 on the season. Oh my goodness, 559. That was Ooh. close. Okay, so so yes, I take that back. It, it but feels, point being. I think we saw last year with Jawan against Florida State that he proved that he can pass the ball when a secondary gives him opportunities. And and I I said this earlier this week. I'm I'm now feeling bad of how quick that judgment on Jawan I was because maybe that foot injury has played a role in him not being able to plant and get good right. leverage on footballs. And and it would it would kind of explain him just airmailing them because you know the footwork is so important to a quarterback of where the ball goes and how it lands and what it, what it looks like in the air. And I, I I wonder if maybe that's been an issue so far, but when he comes back, I don't know. I think you play them both. I think you have to, I don't uh, think that you can no, play one. I, I don't think so either. And I think that, um, you know, like we wrote about last week, I, I think that that's their best option. I think that starting, no doubt, no I think doubt starting Puma pass and having him play 70, 80% of the game is, is a perfect metric. 
Yeah. And then getting the switch it up with Cunningham, all of a sudden, then the speed of the game completely changes. Um, it's kind of like you know if you're if you're playing basketball and, and a team keeps switching up from man to zone right. or something like that. Um, and to make another basketball analogy, going back to past kind of airmailing people. Um, have you ever been like playing a basketball game and you just like you you're like breaking shots left and right. Right. And all of a sudden you get one wide open, everybody's sagging off you because they don't think you're gonna make it. Right. And you just like really step into it and you're like focused, like you see what I'm saying? Like you just like yeah. get like so mechanical. That's kinda how Pass got it at the end of the West or the Eastern Kentucky game. Right. Where he was you could see on the couple of passes they hit Marshall. Yeah. There were a couple of passes to, to Atwell as well out, out into the middle of the field where he was it looked like he was trying to get in a rhythm, but more than anything, it did like now that I'm looking back at that game, um, it did kind of feel like he was kind of laboring a little bit and kind of like really just trying to focus on the mechanics of getting getting set, getting his feet right. set in the pocket and almost looking like robotronic a little bit, not like you know that he was kind of just flinging the ball downfield to, to to start the game. So let's um, but before we move into predictions of mm -hmm. the game, I I I think that this is an interesting conversation and one that we knew we were going to have when the season before the season started when the schedule came out. If Louisville goes down and they win this game against Florida State, does it change your expectations for the season? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely because I think that the, it's just such a momentum shifter. And it's to me, it's so interesting because last year the, all the momentum shifted. Everybody has come out and admitted admit this as, as much as well. Louisville played well against Florida State last year. Very well. The best game of the season. Especially in the first half. You know, right. everybody was like, all right. Those first three games were behind us. You know, Alabama was a shellacking. We expected that. Indiana State was an anomaly because there was so much rain. And then Western Kentucky was just an in-state rival. It was super hot. You know, team down on their luck. And the the past Cunningham situation was kind of too much to overcome. Sure. Florida State, they come out. They're playing really well. Um, pass is kind of actually hitting his guys in stride. The offense is just right. really flowing well. Um, all of that went down the tubes in basically two plays, right? Three plays, I guess. So the, the interception, um, there's I think there's one running play before the just guy just all of a sudden got loose and in Louisville secondary right. and scored what was like an 85 yard touchdown. Are you talking about Western Kentucky? No, no, I'm talking about the oh, Florida the, State, the Florida yeah, State, yeah, State yeah, yeah. game. So yeah, Trey McKitty killed Louisville last year. I mean, absolutely destroyed him. Anybody whose last name is McKitty too. I mean. God. You got a Puma as your quarterback, and you're getting beat by oh, a McKitty. guy. Okay. McKitty. Mc, Sorry. McKitty. McKitty. That's okay. his last name. Sorry. I, was, I think that's his name. No, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't firmly grasping the dad yeah, No, the, guy, tr the guy, his name is Trey McKitty, and he, uh, I think he had like over 150 yards um, receiving for a little. Me. Here, here's the really interesting thing that um, I keep saying that everything is really interesting to me today. I don't know why, but fascinating. Um, one thing that I think that we need to be thinking about and potentially preparing for which really is unfortunate but these new red shirt rules between both Malik and Jawan like I I mean I I don't think either one of them is going to but they have Jawan ha and Malik both have one more game that they could play before that fourth game and that fourth mm -hmm. game indicates whether or not they can be red shirted now Jawan can't be red shirted because he already had a red shirt season. Actually, I think Malik Malik did too. But point being, yeah. they can both transfer and not lose a season right, of eligibility right. after four games. And you have to wonder if if that's going through their brain at the that quarterback position is a revolving door. And mm -hmm. if you don't think you're going to play, the chance to get out without having any repercussions of a lost season is before that fourth game. Now, again, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I know you keep shaking your head at me, but what I'm saying is. <laughs> 
I think that there needs to be a plan in place, which there probably already is because they're way better at planning out coaching than I am. But I'm just saying I think that it's going to be really interesting how they delegate the quarterback role or relegate the role and what they do with it because the chance of transfer is always there, and they have to please the guys that they have. Well, I mean, in you know, you want to do what's best for your team, but at the at the end of the day, um, I think that if you're a Division One quarterback, you have high, higher aspirations than just you know your your team winning. Like there, there's rarely a, a, a you know Power Five quarterback that comes in and doesn't have aspirations of of playing at the next level um, or trying to to see what what can happen as far as their professional career, be it in the CFL or in coaching or anything of that nature. So they have to be thinking about their their career. And unlike you know a third string linebacker. You know, like if, if if there's a Jack Fago, for instance, if there's a Marshawn Ford um, at the quarterback position, they're not going to play. Right. Um. So it, it's well, really. I don't know. We were one play away from, from somebody Tutu that. Atwell. Uh, well, yeah, Tutu <laughs> Atwell or somebody that we don't know playing quarterback if Evan Conley goes down. Right. Right. But re- point being, um, I think you're 100 percent right. It's just and, something and to that, keep in the back of your yeah, mind. I mean, right, I, th- right. I think it, there's definitely, you know, in this day and age of kids transfer when they don't get what they want. I mean, it's just something to keep in mind. All right, let's 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 jump into predictions as we close out the show here. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been predicting the score, predicting winners, and some extra X factor of the game and attempt to get to the end of the season and determine who is the loser and who has to eat the hot chip on the show. I think that's what we've said on. I don't think anybody yeah. even knows. Maybe we'll just find out what happens We're in week 13. Once Jacob starts losing, then he'll probably – back down a little bit yeah right like, well i'll say guys can we can we just eat like just one chip or like half a chip or like a bite a chip you gotta like drink a miller light or something i don't know that would i mean that's that seems like a, a reward to me okay so last <laughs> week we predicted the western kentucky game and uh we went with the, the prediction of how many passing yards for juan pass which was zero none of us bet none of us guessed zero so that would have been a good guess though for somebody to pick zero would have been um yeah, I mean, so should we go with whoever's closest then? Like, who guessed the least amount of yards? Uh, that's a good question. So the least amount of yards is definitely not me. I picked what 301 you? yards. You're an idiot. Uh, 250. Okay, I, I'm not going to go back and recap, but the statistics who, showed that there was a chance for Jawan to throw for that many yards. Okay, anyway, what, what did what did me and Alex pick? So Alex went with 215, which if we're going to go off that system, Alex would win that one, and you picked 246. So uh, I think we credit I'm Alex done. with a point. Should we just give Alex a point? We did. Yeah, so I mean. Alex and so and then based off of the score, so Alex and I were both ten points off the total score of the difference. Is so it a half was, point apiece? I went with a full point. I don't feel like getting into the half game. Okay. So right. after week three, uh, the score is five to four to two. So you I are falling behind yeah. very, very That's fast. That's fine. That's fine. All right. So let's move into Florida State. Alex, as you know, is not here tonight. His prediction is uh, right, let's start with what we're going to do. So, of course, we're going to predict the score, the winner, and then tonight's caveat is Florida State attendance, which yep. we didn't get a chance to ask Deshaun about this, but the attendance is rapidly declining at, at Florida State. The excitement around the football program is at an all-time low, I would say. I mean, I don't I don't know what it was like in the 40s and the 50s, but I'm going to guess that in a stadium that seats upward of 100,000 people, close to it at least, that... Yeah. So, what, what do you think it is? Because I, I was... 87. 79.560. Okay, so but if you're I, rounding I think up, their record is a little over 80. Okay, for the most in attendance yes. against Louisiana Monroe, it was the third least attended game in Florida State. Uh, I don't, I don't think it was history, but in Doe Campbell history, I believe. I think that's, I think that's right. Let me go back and look at this because I, I just had this pulled up a little bit ago. Um, so the number for the for the Louisiana Monroe game, which was the last home game that they played, was 
Uh, let's see here. 52-969. Uh, only three games were lower than that, and one of them was – I'm sorry, I missed this somehow. Boise State. 50,917. So, so at least the they're building up. But the reasoning behind the Boise State game was, was because, because of the hurricane. Okay, right. so that's a good point. So we'll toss that one out. So Louisiana Monroe is their least attended game uh, since n- 1988. It's a long time. Yeah. Uh, or I'm sorry. Yeah, 1988, 53, 129. So it was the that was the, the the attendance against Southern Miss in 1988. So our caveat tonight is the the attendance. So Alex went 24 to 17. We know Alex has been slobbering at this game since mm-hmm. the day he became a writer for Big Red Louie. I think he <laughs> wanted to write for us just so he could predict Louisville beating Florida State. True. Uh, but this is a game, I'll give him credit, man. This is a game that he's had his eye on for a long time as the one where they're going to be able to measure who they are and what they're going to be able to do for a full season. He's going Louisville 24, Florida State 17, total attendance 49,000, which by this article from the Tampa Bay Times, that would be the lowest attended game in program history. Uh, I'm sorry, since 1988 because that's the this article is only tracking since 1988. Okay, so, so for for reference, um, in 1988, their stadium held 60,000 people. Um, they expanded to 70,000 in 92, 72,000 in 93, 75,000 in 94, 77,000 in 95. <laughs> they, I mean, they have expanded like, I don't know, uh, yeah, eight, a lot. eight times yeah. since the 80s. So, right. A lot. Okay, so uh, let's let's move to you. What do you yep. have for this game? Okay, so my prediction, um, I'm going to take Florida State 31 to 17, or 31 to 27, excuse me. Okay. 31 27. And what's your attendance number? Attendance number is going to be 61 5. Okay, so you're going to go with Florida State. Florida State fans are extremely excited about the way that they played against Virginia. The last second loss was more of a sign of encouragement than it was a sign of discouragement. And I mean, sixty-one five is still only seventy-five percent full. Like that's like that's right, like in but Cardinal it's Stadium also forty-five thousand. Sure, but it's also you know roughly nine thousand people more than what was there last weekend. Oh yeah, I, or the I believe before. that. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna go. Um, I I've been on this since the, I predicted my games earlier in the in the summer. I'm going to go Louisville wins this game by a field goal, and I think it's going to be a last-second field goal with that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Louisville 27-24, and the attendance is 53-5,000. I'm also in the belief that the fans are going to be encouraged enough to get out to the game, at least a, a little bit more. Obviously, F- not a whole lot. 53,500? I'm going to go 53,500. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Um, I, I, think that, uh, I think that this is going to be a really competitive game. I think that we're going to see what happened with Virginia last week where Florida State's defense can't get off the field, but their offense just scores quickly. I think that they're mm-hmm. going to put points up, but where Louisville is going to be able to get them is there. I think Louisville could have upwards of a 10-minute time of possession um, advantage, which really will give them uh, a big chance to win the football game, and that's all you can ask for against a team who just a few years ago was uh, – did they win a championship or were they in yeah. the championship? No, they, I couldn't they won. They won that game. In 2013. Yeah, with Jameis as their quarterback. So. Um, I guess two, thir- 2013 season, 2014 was the championship. Biggest key to the game for you? Oh, gosh. did I already ask that? Did we already do that? Uh, no, I mean we we kind of we've great, been we've talked we, about a lot of things. Lost right. over it. What, but what is the biggest thing to you? Man, the, the biggest key to me is just Louisville's offensive execution in the passing game. I think the running game is going to be there. I do. Um, but at some point they're going to start stacking the box. I mean it's just like what happened against right. against Notre Dame. You sure. Know? You have you can't just come out just guns a-blazing, putting eight guys, nine guys in the box, and forcing a little bit of run because they're they're not that terrible in the passing game. Like they can still they still have the the weapons to to you know drop one over your head. However, 
Um, I, I, I think that if Louisville comes out and they, they're able to establish a passing game, that completely changes the, the dynamic of the game because that opens up so many other things. And that's why I think that regardless of the, who, who the quarterback is, I think that um, Des, Des Fitzpatrick and Seth Dawkins um, are, are two huge keys um, to being able to pull out a road victory. Uh, what about yourself as far as as far as keys to the game? For me, I think I think the biggest thing is that they have to confuse the defensive line. The defensive line has struggled so far this season, and uh, I think that with Louisville having that orbiter who runs around the back and they have that 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 can set up an RPO, a triple option. I think that's the biggest thing because you are not going to out tough or out talent the defensive line at Florida State, which has yeah. traditionally been their biggest thing. Um, so yeah, I think that that's the thing, and I think they're going to do that, which obviously I predict them to win. So we'll see. It's going to be a big weekend. I think next weekend we could be talking about a completely different set of expectations for the season, or we could be talking about Louisville still has some ways to go. So it'll definitely be one to watch. Presley, been a great time. Thanks as for always. as always for uh, for offering up your house. We'll uh, we'll catch you guys next week.